Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Ran out of gas money, gotta make the last tank last. is a wondrously talented musician who lives and originally hails from Toronto, Ontario. Once the lead vocalist of the garage rock band Modern Superstitions, Nisa has now established herself as one of Canada's most arresting live performers, brilliant narrative songwriters and producers, and a gifted powerhouse singer. 
Her remarkable self-titled debut album is called Girls Like Me, which was released August 21st, 2020, and Nisa and I connected recently to discuss its origin story, what life is like in Toronto these days, her relationship with the city and how it lives up to its potential, her work in the service industry and how that has impacted her as a storytelling songwriter, her persona and perceptions of her as an electronic pop artist when country, soul, and rock and roll heavily inform her work, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control and Massey Hall's concert film series live at masseyhall.com, where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like The Weather Station, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 559th episode of Creative Control, featuring the rising star Nisa with your host, me, Vishkana. Hi, Nisa. How's it going? Hey, Vish. It's going good. How are you doing? I'm not bad. I'm here in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. Where in the world are you? I am in Toronto, Toronto. Ontario, How Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a lot of uh, uh, expanded uh, you know, answers to this. Uh, I ask this question every time when I do a remote uh, chat, you know, and people are like, I made this joke the other day, people are GPSing. You know exactly where they are, so that we're all clear uh, that you are in not only Toronto but Toronto, Ontario, Canada. That's yes. that's nice to nice to know. Uh, how I, are things I, going? I, in, oh, go ahead. Sorry, uh, no, I was going to make a dumb joke, but uh, I have <laughs> no ahead. need to do that. Things okay. are things are all right. Things are all right in Toronto. <laughs> okay, cool. Are you? I forget. Are you from there? I am. Yeah, I am from here. Born and raised. Okay. Uh, so you know nothing else, so you can't really tell me if it's worse than... Or do you Have you traveled? Have you traveled around and spent time in other places? And, and can you relate that experience, those experiences to being in Toronto all the time? Well, I mean, before this whole thing happened, I did some traveling around, for sure. I don't know. I mean, it's it's Toronto is very much home for me, and I have... You know, when a place becomes home, it uh, brings with it its share of annoying things. So there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of things that annoy me about Toronto, but there are also things I love, and especially summer in Toronto is something that I do love. I love how lush and green it is, and how if you don't have your own outdoor space, you can find outdoor space. That's so true. that's been good, especially in a pandemic where I, I don't have any outdoor space myself. So I'm thankful for that. Right. So when people uh, who are in Toronto complain about Toronto, praise Toronto, you can relate to what they're saying on some level, uh, but you don't. It does, it's not, nothing is enough to make you want to leave. You appreciate it, it sounds like, on the whole. 
I appreciate it on the whole, but I have been thinking about Hamilton more and more. This is the musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda? <laughs> no, it's definitely not. There's no Lin-Manuel entering into these thoughts that I'm having. I, I, <laughs> I, I haven't seen Hamilton, but I understand there is a lot to chew on, so I can see why you might be thinking about it. No, you're thinking about uh, the, the, the city of Hamilton, Ontario, uh, which is uh, I well, like 45, 50 minutes away from uh, Toronto uh, in the Green Belt. It is... Uh, a blue-collar town. It's got its fair share of issues, too. But, yes, it seems to me, and I know this for a fact because I have lots of Hamilton people on the show, and I have Toronto people on the show who have moved to Hamilton. People are flocking mm-hmm. to Hamilton as a place to live uh, as an alternative Toronto. Why has it uh, been on your mind, per se? Well, I think, I mean, over the past couple of years, every time I've visited, I've always just I mean I've always had a great time I you know I know really great people who've moved there I appreciate that it's a little bit smaller than Toronto and I also appreciate the fact that it uh it's I don't know I have this I as much as I Toronto is home I have this like Toronto hurts my feelings constantly because I feel like every time Toronto's been on the verge of something potentially great um and you know, a more in terms of an art scene or a music scene or something, I feel like it just skips that phase and immediately moves into like a gentrified phase. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of a heartbreaking thing. And I feel like, I mean, I hope that, you know, it seems like maybe Hamilton could have that phase and it could be a lot, last a little bit longer then Toronto seems to be able to uh, maintain it there. Every time it happens, I just don't feel that Toronto seems to value the maintenance of a fruitful, creative environment. Yeah. um, There's a few things going on in what you're saying, and I I wonder what your take on the fact that, in my experience, in in my observation, what often happens with with what, what precedes gentrification which uh, I gather you think is a, a negative thing. First of all, yes. What is your perception of gentrification in terms of the negative aspects of it? Uh, do you have a definition of it that you kind of live with that you're like, yeah, I, I appreciate why something would need to be gentrified, but it seems to me unsavory on some level. Let's get to that first. What is it about gentrification that you're like, this seems like a bad idea? And I don't mean to put words in your mouth if that's what that's kind of where you were going, right? Yeah, totally. Um I think, you know, in it, all my traveling to different cities, it's just the gentrification really homogenizes neighborhoods, not just within a city, but in cities all over the all over North America and even all over the world. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you know, I've I've worked serving brunch for years and that's been my livelihood and I have uh, I you know I, I, I've gone out for brunch I've served brunch I, I understand brunch um, <laughs> no one said brunch but, that many times on the show in a row that was amazing I get brunch yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean brunch is like kind of this ultimate signal of gentrification I mean those two words I feel like go very much hand in hand mm-hmm. and I think think that like it's a really great way to see that all these gentrified neighborhoods are just very much the same i mean if you go out for like a 
fancy brunch in Chicago or a fancy brunch in LA or New York or Toronto, it's it's going to feel like the same experience. So you're just you're losing you're just losing identities, mm. the identities of these neighborhoods and, you know, as, as some of these restaurants I, I like they're the food's great and uh, I don't know, they offer employment to artists such as myself, but um I just yeah, it feels very homogenized and I don't like when things are all totally the same, no matter where you go. Right, the uniformity is what you're getting at there. So one of the reasons I asked yeah. one of the reasons I asked you to expand upon that is what I've noticed is what usually precedes gentrification is artistic and creative activity. So I often, in yes. my observation, artists will take advantage of uh, low rents or dilapidated uh, structures, and they'll move in and they'll make it amazing. They will, uh, just by their sheer activity, things will be enhanced. Uh, buildings will get slowly a little, maybe not repaired, but they, things people start to populate these areas. Mm-hmm. And then what I've noticed is that the, 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 the gentrifiers swoop in and say, oh, actually, I didn't even think of this rundown field and this area as being something we could work with. But Definitely. here it seems that there are people. So is that part of your frustration is that because for me that's what it is people kind of taking advantage of the vision of creative and artistic people and then swooping in to monetize it and then as you say co-op well I, you didn't say this but i will say they co-opt it and then they make it the same everywhere and uh so i'm sorry i know I, again i'm not trying to describe thoughts and ideas but that's where i was coming from with with this whole discussion what do you make of that perspective that's I mean, I absolutely agree with that perspective, the idea that, you know, artists come in and, you know, some people find this problematic in itself. But the idea, I think, isn't a negative idea of artists and creatives coming into neighborhoods and coexisting and coexisting and happily and creatively and constructively coexisting. And then yeah, that kind of being immediately leached upon. And that's specifically sort of what frustrates me with Toronto is that that phase of like the, you know, this gestation period, which mm-hmm. it's it, it just I feel that Toronto just doesn't let that last. And I wish that could last forever. I don't you know, I mean, that that's that's the most beautiful phase. But yeah, that's my my frustration with Toronto is that it just doesn't last. And it seems to be lasting shorter and shorter amounts of time in every city and that's really frightening i think right. is that that period cuz i don't know where i don't know where everyone's supposed to go mhm i mean from a toronto arts perspective one of the trends over the last 5 6 years is venues closing uh closing down mm-hmm. being shut down uh landlords saying no it's got to be something else or i'm selling the property to some sort of gentrification entity uh, <laughs> you know and so I see your frustration and I feel that given what we've been talking about in this pandemic and the the lockdowns I, I mean I'm talking to you from Alberta where in Edmonton where I'm calling you from there have been slight attempts at loosening things up at restaurants not really music venues or you know large-scale pub- or mid-sized mm-hmm. public gatherings but restaurants have opened and then there's some outbreak and then they all shut down uh, so we have very little uh, loosening up going on. A little bit, pockets of it. What's it like in Toronto as we're speaking in terms of of that? You know, we were talking about the importance of 
these artistic spaces and venues. But right now, uh, <laughs> you know, I assume from my perspective uh, of Ontario from here, there's not a lot of that activity going on right now, right? Gathering in places like that? No, definitely not. I mean, I guess technically since we're in what, phase three, mm. it's distance shows inside are allowed. But I don't, I don't know anyone who's uh, embarked on that path as of yet. Yeah. And it feels, I don't know. I mean, it just, it feels like any, anytime I picture what that looks like, I kind of come up against a, a wall. I just, it, it seems strange, but I also don't know. I mean, I don't see a return to reg, like so-called normal shows or touring in the next, like next year at all. I mean, I just, I, I don't, so I don't know. I feel like everyone's going to... I feel like everyone's still sort of like reeling from the general situation. And people are still kind of isolated. Because even though we've started socializing more with each other, you know, we're still not allowed to really have each other into each other's... Uh, over into each other's homes yeah. and, you know, touch each other and... I don't know. There's people that I would normally see all the time that I haven't seen. So I just think we're going to have to find a way to have these conversations within music communities about how how to like how to kind of move forward as musicians who need to perform. I I don't know that the whole uh, I find live streaming, you know, it's it's become a semi-necessary part of being a musician in the, at this time but I find it incredibly isolating and I yeah I don't know it's but uh, I don't know what shape this is going to take I, I I don't know about you I don't know if you've engaged with live streaming as a performer have you engaged with it uh, yeah have you engaged with it as a performer or as a patron to any great extent because I started to when it first happened Usually by accident, I'd go on my Instagram would say, hey, someone's doing a thing. And I'd be like, what? And then it would take me to the thing. And then I'd be like, oh, I have to watch this thing, I guess, for a few minutes. And then I'd be like, I, I think I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. What about you? Have you been engaging with the live streaming on in, in either realm as a performer or as a, as a fan? I've been, as a performer, I've done a couple. And I started doing this sort of like public access style thing called Nisa TV, where I was asking friends for to submit content and kind of just putting it all together as a like a web show, live web show. Um, and then, but I, you know, summer hit, and it's I I just needed to take advantage of the fact that it's my first summer, probably my first and last summer, not having like a so called day job since I was a child. So kind of had to take advantage of that but wait a minute you 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 couldn't work because of the situation yes like i mean because of the pandemic up until this point yes and now i'm trying to now i'm kind of trying to figure out what's next but um right Hmm. yeah but i have done it and it's it's just like it's really so much work to try and get it uh at the to be the quality that i want it to be you know that Hmm. i mean i used to you know playing shows at venues there's there's a sound tech and I'm working with somebody who's a professional or usually a professional to get the sound somewhere that I want it to be. And then I sound check and then I go on stage and that's, and that's not a small amount of work, but now it's, I I have to just 
do everything like a like a TV studio in my house, and I I can't. It's it's a lot of work. Um, so I've done a bit that way, and I'm still figuring it out. But in terms of, on the other side, I I don't really have I I don't really have that much of an attention span for it. It's hard to just sit and watch. It's because it used to be such a shared thing. You go to a show with people and you talk about the band and you're all sharing this experience. So I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't yet feel like a substitute. Yeah, as you say, I think we're still reeling and trying to process what uh is available to us in terms of I mean, I feel like most of the things that are kind of streaming or online, whatever it is, or, or even as we're speaking, you know, professional sports is sort of back in a weird ghost form where you know the yeah. in baseball the fans were literally cardboard cutouts in basketball it's uh i think everyone's zooming in or you know i don't know if you see do you do you like sports i didn't mean to invoke sports do you like sports nisa <laughs> i don't like sports but i'm aware of the the sporting environment right now <laughs> I, I know what's i know what's going on but i'm not i'm not participating <laughs> right so my son uh, loves basketball and you know i i'm I'm kind of with you where I'm like, I don't really anticipate things getting back to normal, so to speak, anytime soon. And I'm I'm relatively fine with that. But, you know, when you have a kid who likes basketball and he wants to watch it, so I've watched it with him. And what they've got is the fans are screens. So they've got this, uh, they call it the campus. The NBA is at a all in a bubble in Florida. And instead of mm-hmm. live fans, they've got, um, you can see uh, people uh, on screens watching the game and cheering from the game using something like a video conference thing. So you just see these faces and you can't really hear them. It's really bizarre. And I find this, it it is bizarre. So I think I'm with you in that. I find this push for normalcy in a extremely surreal and abnormal time. Um, I don't find it personally frustrating, but I find it kind of sad. Um, And, I don't know if you feel the same. Like, just people trying to find some... It, it, I don't mean to say that in, a, in, a, in an accusatory way, but it does feel a bit <laughs> sad right now, doesn't it, that we don't know it, what to do? It does. It it does feel sad. It feels like there's just so many unknowns, and we haven't yet entered a, next, a new phase of understanding, so we're still sort of, like, grasping at the the old way of doing things and it's it's weird it's like everything's become I I don't know it's become yeah like you said so surreal and I was thinking about this in terms of like normal tv and normal film I have a lot of friends who work in like film and tv and they're supposed to be going back to work but it's interesting to even think about like the idea of producing a show that takes place last year like I, yeah, it's everything's yeah. become fantasy. I mean, are they gonna like are sitcoms gonna rewrite so that you know everyone's wearing masks and nobody's getting close to each other, or is it gonna take place in this now fantastic surreal universe that it doesn't exist? I get a, I get the sense from your line of sort of thought here that you feel like it's almost a bit tone deaf to be engaging with the normal stuff. Um, like it does. You said something earlier about that. Like I can't even imagine going to a show or playing a show in this environment. And I've had that feeling too. Like it doesn't feel, uh, I don't know, good <laughs> or or like yeah. sensitive to what's going on. To just like 
yeah, yeah, yeah. We know people are dying and, and people are, are isolating and that's causing mental health issues and stuff. But look, sports. Or look, we're going to put, hey, we're Smash Mouth. We're just going to put on a show. Like, that stuff seems totally Smash insensitive. Mouth. So, yeah, trying to be relevant. Is that what you're, yeah, exactly. Is that what you're kind of getting? Like, the tone deafness is there, too, in your perception, yes? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I don't think it necessarily has to be tone deaf. I just feel like right now it currently is. It's like everyone's singing off key. Like <laughs> <Right>. Nobody's quite <laughs> sure. found the tune yet. <laughs> and right, for you, me, that like... I, <laughs> yeah. You took my analogy and ran but, with it. That was good. <laughs> love to run with an analogy. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, I mean, it's been like... that idea of like not you know not being able to make sense of things or that the whole tone deaf idea I've just been sort of retreating and just being close like I have my pod of close friends who I love and it's just been retreating into each other's company and that's been really the only thing that's like felt real to me Mm -hmm. and so yeah, I don't know. I mean, the idea of pretending... It, nothing feels normal. So I, my friends and I really quickly created a new normal amidst the complete discomfort of the situation. And yeah, that's that's sort of the only thing now that does feel normal to me. And I, I, don't, I don't yet feel comfortable going outside that little bubble that we've created. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned your friends there, and I don't mean to necessarily uh, pry, but what about your family? I ask this because, and we're going to get to the fact that you just made a really, really brilliant album called Girls Like Me in a Moment, I hope. But um, <laughs> uh, what I just, I pick up on some familial themes there, and I just wonder, like, because I'm, I happen to move away from Ontario in January to Alberta, and so I left my, um, my, my parents are still in Ontario, and it was a consideration that uh, I would be away from them and we would be away from them. And now we really, really are like, you know, there was a plan to go back in in July and that's all been quashed. But what about you? Do you, do you uh, still communicate with your family? Do you, have you been able to see your family in this uh, time? Yeah, my, um, my, both my mom and my dad live in Toronto. So I have been able to, I'm, I have been able to see them. I'm really close with my mom and my dad but uh yeah i've i've seen them my dad's a nurse so i haven't really been able to like bridge a certain distance gap with him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i have seen my mom and i mean i also i don't know i do also consider my my friends my family it's like we're kind of we're kind of treating this pod like family um so I haven't been I haven't been separated from my family, but my my partner's been separated from his his dad. So there's been because hmm. his so there's been that to contend with, and it is I don't know it's difficult. I mean you go through you go through waves of understanding and feeling and uh, just uh, yeah. I mean it's it, I'm lucky to have both my parents in the same city. And not feel totally isolated from them. You know, you you touched upon a few things there that I think hover around the notion of introspection. I think this weird suspension has given a lot of people a lot of time to hopefully think about things and think about what 
uh, you know, we do with our lives and, and how we've done them. And, you know, so I'm, I work from home now, which was always considered it's with some of the companies I worked with was considered sort of like taboo. And yeah, totally. And meanwhile, I, you know, most of my work has been kind of online. I was like, I don't, what's the big deal kind of thing. Not, a, I, you know, whatever. That's just the way things have worked. Yeah. Um, so we're learning a little bit about how we function societally and what we really need and what we sort of don't need as much, maybe. Mm-hmm. Have you found you've learned things about yourself or your friends or your family in this process? Definitely. Um, yeah, because my two uh, gigs are were being a musician and are being a musician, and I was working in the service industry. I worked as a server. I've worked as a server since I was like fifteen. Mm-hmm. So, so but then yeah, obviously both those things totally shut down. So thankful. I'm like thankful for the the government relief um yeah <laughs> but yeah. that's it obviously you know i mean living in canada definitely there's a there's a privilege to that and being able to access that that money um yeah so i have actually had the last i guess it's i guess we're coming up on six months to just totally pause and take a look at myself and my life and what i hold dear and my relationship with being a musician and just my relationship with my myself and others and um yeah i mean i think it has been a period of growth and i especially in terms of my relationship with music i think i was kind of just barreling along like hope you know the goal was become a successful musician and in such a way that you don't need to support yourself with another job right and yeah and i don't think i really looked at what that I really examined what that meant or what it looked like and for me I mean the reason I make music is because I have to make music I like you know I don't it's not a popularity contest and I learned very young in life that trying to be popular really did not get you in with the popular kids (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah, so it's always been something I've like I have I do make it for myself and hopefully other people like it, but I think I almost kind of forgot about that. Like and then I started writing with guitar again and I started just sort of like inhabiting inhabiting this musical self that I was maybe a little detached from or was only attached to when I was like in the process of writing a song. And it's been the idea that I like how how can you even be ambitious in this world like how can you get on a tour how can you like i think that having that ability for that kind of ambition stripped away has been really i mean it was initially heartbreaking but now it's been like almost spiritually refreshing in a way to just have to just be left with the music yeah, you've, you've got your... That's exactly kind of what I was getting at and maybe hoping you'd say. Just like a, a reconfiguring of what your priorities are as a person and as an artist. Um, that's been key. I've heard that from more than a few people. You say um, that you picked up the guitar to write songs. I'm sorry, that's within the last six months or so? That's You've sort of approached music making differently in this time? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, I have. Um, I I learned how to play guitar in high school, and then I um, started a band, which became Modern Superstitions, with friends. And then I sort of I just stopped playing guitar, and I started just 
just singing and focusing on front person duties um and then (laughs) yeah and then I got into the like whole world of Ableton and production and I wasn't playing guitar because I always had in my head it's like well I'll never be great so whatever leave guitar playing to other people if ever I want guitar I'll go get one of my like crazy talented guitar playing friends on a song and then yeah and then the pandemic happened and I was you know it's it's hard to there's there was so much screen time built in with all the only being able to see people through zoom at that time and just not even it's, ex- it's exhausting it's so exhausting. exhausting i can't yeah yeah and not being able to leave the house and so yeah. i yeah. couldn't just write with my computer at all anymore so i started playing guitar and then a friend of mine in new york uh leah hennessy incredible musician um she was starting a songwriting group. Uh, so I've been, you know, trying to write a song once a week on guitar since since April. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So th- this is kind of where I was coming from with that last question. Yeah, I, mean, I asked about the guitar, but you were talking about TV studios and film studios. Like, what are you going to talk about uh, <laughs> as you come back to work? So similar question. I mean, first of all, have you achieved that goal of writing a a new song a week and and secondly the songs you have been writing uh in this period do you feel like they reflect what's going on in the world and with you uh during the pandemic or is it some other inspiration yeah so in terms of the the goal of a song a week i mean it's it's been happening once a week since april and so i was initially doing one a week and now i'm about every other week so still pretty regular it's pretty good Um, yeah yeah, that's great that's great yeah and in terms of the the writing I mean I guess the stories in the songs I mean there's one that I kind of my favorite one I wrote as like a post-apocalyptic answer to Night Moves by Bob Seger which is one of my favorite songs uh, so that's that's like that's the most for me that's going to be the song I wrote in this whole period that'll most remind me of this period. Hmm. But other than that, no, I mean like I I don't know. There's nothing. There's nothing going on. Everyone's lives are exactly the same <laughs> right now. It's like it's <laughs> exactly yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, I the privilege of like being able to you know be in my apartment and not you know, and be able to exist and all that. But it's, I don't have anything new to report whenever I run into anyone, but I do have time to like, I do have time to spend time with other people's stories and read and watch movies and sort of just follow new trains of thought. And, and since I'm writing in a more like country way, just that's where the guitar writing goes to. Um, Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's been kind of where I'm at. You know, it's interesting. We've been talking about self-isolation and, and, you know, not being able to see people. I've seen you play live, I believe, at least twice. I know it's twice. I don't know if it's more than that. One time was opening for Fucked Up at the Horseshoe. And I think I we met last summer at Sappy Fest in Sackville, yeah. New Brunswick. And, um, and I'm always just blown away by, uh, by you and, and your your stage presence and your songs are incredible and I'm not just saying this to flatter you I'm just a big fan (laughs) and but it occurs to me that you in both instances that I've seen you it's been you and some kind of machine Uh, there's Mm -hmm. not been a band per se 
So mm-hmm. I guess I wonder. I, I gather you were in a band and then decided to focus on being a lead person, but you are the only person. <laughs> you took being a lead singer to such an extent <laughs> that you're, there's no one else on stage. So in terms of you know that communal feeling of being in a band or being a performer, you've kind of been operating without that for some time. Do you have some perspective on that now that you don't have a choice really to be uh, together with people on stage? Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think what what drew me to performing and producing and writing solo was yeah, I don't you know I don't need anyone else. I can put all my my gear in a backpack or a small bag, and uh, it's just it's easy and. And yeah, like you said, the idea of being a lead singer without a band. I mean, that's kind of the idea. It wasn't like I'm a solo electronic producer. It's like lead singer and then w- no no band. So yeah. that was kind of, yeah, that is sort of the like conceit of the whole performance side of it. But yeah, right now, I mean, I, you know, there was a lot of collaboration on the album with other musicians and... I think I've been like I think I'm slowly moving back towards wanting to play with other musicians and now that I'm playing <laughs> <Now> guitar <laughs> yeah kind of now that you I, really can't on some level you kind of want I, that's I probably natural you you now that you don't have the choice you have a longing for that sort of feeling right of playing with people Absolutely and I know like one of the one of the things I most look forward to the events I most look forward to every year is Death to TO which is the big it's uh dan burke organizes it it's a big like halloween covers night so yeah you get yeah. a bunch of toronto bands doing cover sets and i that's been my like one means of performing of like rehearsing and performing with a band over the past i guess six six years or so yeah and yeah and it's kind of been building up every time i do it now i'm like oh i really i really want to be doing that more often <laughs> well i will but, uh, say I, so yeah i will say like I, I having seen you the the couple times i have my impression was that this is um a new kind of electronic artist i think that that's just my impulse because you're using a machine there's some synthesized music uh in there i think it's not um i think anyway and then it's you powerhouse singer which i want to get into your singing and your uh and your performative your phrasing your singing is just incredible to me i'm sorry i keep flattering you Thank and you. i don't mean to do it i don't mean to do it but i'm just a big <laughs> well I'm, it's I'm, nice thanks I'm, I'm in awe of some of it and i just i don't i just want you to know that but my point here is as i've been listening to the record uh girls like me and by the way mm-hmm. I, I told i texted you this yesterday it's been playing around the house whole family loves it huge fans Huge fans of you in the house now. My son loves it. He's been collecting all of you. Some of these songs used to be singles, right? And he put out some EPs. Is that correct? Right. Right. So he's finding... I can't give him the code to download the album, right? I'll go to jail because it's not out yet as we're speaking. (laughs) (laughs) So he's been finding it himself. Yeah, that's right. So he's been finding himself. But my point is, listening to the record, I'm like, wait a minute. This is more of a country singer than I... Had this sensation of seeing you. This is more of a a, a torch singer or a, a a rock singer. I just it doesn't register with me when I see you. And then the record has mm-hmm. like pedal steel and and slide guitar and these tones that I and of course your lyri- the lyrics are fantastic too. Like as a narrative songwriter, you're fantastic in that realm. So I guess I'm Thank just you. I'm trying to figure out who you are, what you're doing. 
<laughs> and 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 you you do seem like a, a true uh, sort of open eared listener, and and it feels like all of these influences are coming out uh, into your work. Is that sort of purposeful? Like you played in this band, Modern Superstitions, uh, and then you went solo. And I mean, would you agree with my description? You have kind of a synthesized presence live, at least. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I like I'm just really appreciate that you noticed the the country and the torch and the I yeah that's that's something that I mean that's what I like that's how I learned how to sing was like emulating more country and soul like that that was that was the beginning yeah um so I, I that's definitely where my voice goes and I think that's where it lives and also more like rock and roll what I'm what I'm drawn to in a vocal performance is very much not like within the electronic world really at all right yeah and then the terms of the i think like yeah i mean for me what i'm doing live i think it's just it's almost that people have this kind of like disconnect because of the computer yes and everything and i think not being able to hear like the more you know the more sort of details the more of the details within the backing tracks it kind of just presents as more electronic yes but it's always yeah but those elements have always been i've always like worked on those elements in the production and definitely it's been a goal to sort of synthesize as all the genres that i like into one thing well i think you're doing it i mean the it certainly i think i appreciate that you can see why i would be naive having only really ex- i mean i've listened to the songs uh, uh after seeing you live but Really digging into this record. By the way, have you enhanced these songs since they first appeared in in the world? Like for the album, are they different? Like in terms of uh, how I produce them for performance originally, or no? I mean, you've released some of these. Or, as I said, you've released some of these songs before um, as singles oh, okay. and whatnot. Are these? Are we hearing the same version? Sorry, I didn't a b them. I'm just asking you if you like changed them at all before you made a made them. On, you know, turn this into a whole record. No, I mean, originally, my idea was kind of just keep releasing singles in like an almost 1950s or 60s framework. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that people like people need a like a cohesive work to attach themselves to in order to like get to know an, an artist. And so I, you know, I realized and with the help of other people realized that an album was the necessary step right towards you know presenting a cohesive image and sound so what's the timeline i appreciate that you uh acknowledge that because i am i have been saying for some years like i think of albums as a snapshot in time uh it's one of the reasons i don't really yes. like col- compilations or greatest hits things because i don't feel like the context is clear unless you really know the artist and the album mm-hmm. they're the original albums i mean or unless it's unless it's abigail or yeah unless it's yeah there's certain yeah. things or soundtracks <laughs> like i'm not so uh you know stringent about but i just mean when i if i had the choice between digging into a band's album or their box set compilation greatest hits thing i'd go to the album because i feel like the time and the context uh is very significant to what's going on in their expression so Within that sort of line of thought, do you? What's the timeline on these songs? Like, um, I don't mean to get too too specific, but like, eh, overarchingly, when did you start? When when was the first song on this record written, and um, when was the most recent song written? If that's the easiest way to get to this, 
Yeah, okay, so let me think about it. I think the oldest song would be... Uh, it would be... I, I Don't Want to Live on the Moon Without You and Number One Girl, I think, are the oldest, followed by Hey Jackie and The Swans. Okay. And... Yeah, so I don't want to live on the moon without you. And number one girl, I think both veer a little towards like, a, I don't know. I would they're more like a they're like kind of a psychotic version of girl group, like a really, um, they're they're my kind of twisted take on girl group songs. And that's something that's always I think I don't think I'll ever like veer away totally from girl group music. I mean, I think that there's just so much there in terms of the production and the the writing and the performance um but doesn't, yeah i think that those are does sorry to interrupt yeah. doesn't doesn't um number one girl vaguely have the be my baby drum beat yes yeah yeah um, <laughs> sorry i've just i was thinking the ba- about the i mean girl- it's the best yeah <laughs> the girl group beat is uh it's you know it doesn't really get that much better than that drum beat i don't think it's weird right i had the same conversation with meg remy about the last u.s girls record which had has exactly that beat on it. I think there's a mm-hmm. the the beat as it appears on this record is or on on that song number one girl. I, th- I think it's is it number one girl? I'm thinking of it is right. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> it's a slight variation yeah. on yeah, that. Yeah, it beat. is in the chorus. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So okay. So girl groups were there. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. I just I just wanted to seem like I was smart. So I interrupted you with my <laughs> so smart tr- music trivia knowledge. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no, no worries. Um, yeah, definitely the girl group. And then that, that, that's sort of like that, that's a, that's a through line. Um, but I think Hey Jackie, Hey Jackie was kind of the first more like conversational storytelling song that I wrote where I was like, oh, that's, that's it. That's the, that's the voice. That's, that's what I want to do. And that's how I want to do Mm -hmm. it. Okay. And then... Yeah, so then there's like most of the songs, I think most of the songs are more storytelling driven in that in that vein and then and then there's a couple more like just straight like poppy aggra- and then more aggressive songs. Um yeah, I yeah. I don't know if this is wrong, but I pick up on uh some maybe some Springsteen Definitely. fandom. Are you a fan of Bruce Springsteen at all? To say the least, yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, big, big. I'm fans. a close follower. I'm a close follower of Bruce Springsteen and his albums, and I've seen him live many times. So I pick up on he has a very distinctive way of of song storytelling, and I mm-hmm. I picked up on that a little bit here. So he he is an influence. And speaking of someone who is hugely influenced by girl groups and Motown and dare I say his name, Phil Spector, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, that's yes, he's this weird connection to that tradition and has been trying to propel it and maintain it on some... I feel like he's part of that legacy. So he's in there. So, okay, he's in there. Mm-hmm. What about your singing style? Like, you're, uh, I, I've already overflattered you, but your singing is, is remarkable. Who are your influences as a vocalist, if I might ask a relatively trite question? But I feel like it's... It's significant because there's something going on here. I've not heard too many people who can sing like you. So where is this sort of coming from, so to speak? Well, I think if I, it's a weird combination of things. If I, because I've thought about this, and I think it goes back to being a little kid in my room playing with my 
dollhouse, which was never populated by dolls because they freaked me out. It was always little animals. Um, And so, but I would always, I would be listening um, pretty much exclusively to Frank Sinatra and Sam Cooke. And so all the like singing along that like my first years of like kind of singing along to music was just exclusively uh, Frank Sinatra and Sam Cooke. So that was, that was kind of part of it. And then in terms of the like, I don't know, more almost crooning vibrato side of things. And then I think like, and then when I was 13, uh, like 12, 13, the, the yeah yeahs and the white stripes and all that stuff came out and then i got into like garage rock and i really am very much drawn to like dirty voices and more hmm. like hmm. R- raspy voices or voices that's like i love when people push their voice and it sounds like it's kind of breaking so yeah it's a combination of pretty and broken is really what i'm kind of aiming for all the time i think i see well that yeah and there's sheer power to it like that's a that's very fascinating and i thank you for illuminating that i think now that you say that i hear all of that i hear all of that in there and uh yeah i know it's remarkable in terms of so again these i didn't really get a um i don't think we clarified what could you sort of pinpoint what years most of the material on the new album was written? Because it is a batch, yes. right? It's not like you... Can you... Roughly, when did you write these songs? I'd say... I don't know. It's... um just thinking about the first one. Probably within the last... I think it's a four-year four year window. Um, and okay. the first would be either... I can't remember if it was Moon or Number One Girl. And the last, the most recent, would be Greenback Dollar Revisited. Right. Okay. So roughly four years, uh, having sort of compiled them all onto this album uh, and listening to them in sort of this sequence, do they tell you something about your your mindset or maybe what, you know, lyrically in terms of any themes like was, you know, do you have a sense of what was kind of going on in your mind in this time period as you were putting putting these songs together and, and wanting them to get out in the world in terms of you know, maybe what you wanted to convey, obviously, but maybe also what you hoped people might receive, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that this is the first time and, you know, that that whole like 10,000 hours uh, number in terms of you know, going from amateur to professional, that gets, <laughs> you know, that gets thrown around. And I Malcolm, don't know. I have Malcolm not, Gladwell. This is Malcolm Gladwell's Malcolm theory. Gladwell, yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't, you know, whatever, I I don't know. I don't know how much credence I pay to that. But uh, I do think that when I started writing these songs, I was sort of moving from this period of, like, figuring myself out and becoming and, like, uh, finding my footing. And I do feel like these songs are really the first time I've, like, found my footing in terms Mm. of how, how I present... This like narrative, these characters and this narrative version of myself in these songs. So I do feel like um, that's the first time, and especially, yeah. I mean, the more I just I've really moved into more storytelling-driven songwriting, and that's kind of that's always what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, it just clicked, and 
Mm. I'll be writing songs that I think are, I think my phrasing and my, the the imagery that I'm drawn to, I think that these are going to be present through lines in my whole writing career as a musician. Yeah, I, I hear that. I, I made an allusion to the fact that, I made an allusion to your family life because I just thought there were some uh, family dynamics going on on the record. I mean, there's obvious things like Hey Jackie, I would say, that maybe um, spring to mind. But I'm also thinking, and, and sorry if I'm reading too much into that uh, on some level, but I also was thinking about your work as a in the service industry because you're dealing with people mm-hmm. all the time. And on some level, uh, as well as just being attuned to their wants and needs, uh, you are in a really observational position, I would think, yeah. uh, to kind of in, just survey uh, the highs and lows of human <laughs> human dynamics. So yeah, I guess I guess, I guess what I'm getting at in terms of your narrative style is, uh, and particularly on this batch of songs, does it feel like... As, is it equally autobiographical and equally observational? I guess that's, or does it feel like it's more one than the, Are we learning about you? I know we're learning about your perspective on the world and life, but are we learning more about you or are these kind of fictions that you have conjured just, you know, from walking through the world? There's a, there's a real combination. I think um, certain songs are certainly more autobiographical and then others are more just they're more they're more character driven and it's really I'm like taking on this persona of a character that I've kind of created from scratch but that is certainly informed by my observational skills and I have definitely generated a lot of observations based on being in a service industry position and really watching and my mom growing up was also um she worked as a as a server and bartender for most of my childhood. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even the way like her keen sense of observation was kind of like passed on to me before I even developed my own. And so like I've, I've always been a very watchful person. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy, but (laughs) no, I think a lot of, a lot of people creating things and writing things and songs or comedy. I mean, it's all very observational, isn't it? Totally. And uh, yeah, and I also think um, in terms of working in service, the relation that has to my songwriting, I do think I have a very like conversational tone in songwriting and it's very, almost all the songs are kind of, it's, it's two people and I'm one person and then there's another person involved yeah. in, the, in the narrative that I'm addressing or who's like by my side. But the first person narrative isn't necessarily always you. No. Okay. Just I just want to clarify no. this. I just want to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. Y- you invoked the term persona there, and as well as uh, loving the music and singing along, my kids have just been staring at the. I have the, uh, got the Apple TV, and so <laughs> we've uh-huh. been playing the 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 music on the TV, and so it comes to the you know what I'm saying like it's it's music. I know what you're saying. You know what I'm yeah. saying. So the album cover uh, is there as I yes. put it on at dinner or lunch, and I watch them. My kids like the TV is to the back of me. I don't look at the TV when I'm eating because I say mm-hmm. I say Nisa no screens at the table. That's my dad move. I think that's a good rule. I it's a good rule. Generally try to push it, but every once in a while we have movie night or whatever and they're anyway. 
I am digressing heavily at the moment, but your album is playing on the TV, and so the album covers there, and I watch my children just staring at the image you have, which is a beautiful photo, I believe, of you, and I thought of your persona. Mm-hmm. How would you characterize your persona? How you, I guess, present yourself as a performer and as a public figure? Well, I think it took me a long it took me a long time to become a confident performer and I you know, I've been doing this since before high school. And I I mean, honestly, a lot of it has come from just trying to step into other performers' shoes as much as possible. Honestly, through those Death to T.O. shows, because I've pretended to be so many of my favorite front people that that I I just, I took little pieces from all of that. And each one of those performers has such unique style. And so it became, I don't know, I just, it's, it became a way, the goal was to feel it in my body. And then... I don't know. I mean, it almost feels like you're uh, some kind of magician or sorcerer or something, and you're learning. <laughs> That's so weird. How to use your hands? It's like your hands. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of power in the hands, and that was something. The moment I realized that, I was that was. I don't know. That's not. I, it's all in the hands. Is not really exactly how I would describe my. Uh, yeah, yeah. My persona, but um, <laughs> but I just. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think Elvis was kind of the biggest one, was pretending to be Elvis for a night. Um, And I always just go back. I go back to, I don't know, I'm watching footage of Elvis and just how much power Elvis and other performers have over the crowd. It's just... I I, I mean, yeah, yeah, it is kind of like a form of spellcraft. Yeah, yeah, he famously used his hands uh, to... uh, accentuate notes or or feelings uh famously like it, it was kind of ascribed as these karate moves i guess but and totally. they, i think they came from that he was totally into that but uh just the power of the hands that's fascinating sorry i chuckled earlier because my uh son believes that the album cover makes you look like um uh, the primary harry potter villain like the kid uh <laughs> draco malfoy Ma- yes <laughs> Yes, and I just thought, oh, that's hilarious that you said sorcerer magician uh, thing. I'm not sorry. That I'm not so funny. steeped in the Harry Potter lore, but he's I've, he used to I've say, "Are we listening to the steeping for sure?" So I'm familiar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see, I don't know the lore. I don't know what's going on with the Harry Potter, but I I, I can't I, I get it now. So that anyway, it's anyway all this to say, it's remarkable uh, work that you're doing and. I, I hope you appreciate that I appreciate it on some level. I'm still processing it, as you can tell when I say, like, the sound is different than I remember it being when I saw you. And mm-hmm. and now that I'm digging more into the lyrics, like, I was just captivated by you as a performer and the sound and your singing, but I, I just, uh, I appreciate this because I feel like I've, uh, I'm, I'm digging deeper and I, I it's fun. I, I enjoy what you're doing. My point here, Nisa, Thank you. is I think you're good. <laughs> I, do, I think you're pretty good. Thank That's you. what I'm trying I to I appreciate yes. that. <laughs> so, um, uh, and also, you know, another aspect of that, um, the sort of disconnect from when you saw me live last and then the songs on the album is I was really fortunate to have a lot of like f- talented musician friends on the, on the album. So there is a lot more, there's a lot more real 
There's a lot more real people on the album than there was previously <laughs> at a live show. So that's a big part of it. Okay. Do you want to cite any of them? Like you, yeah. I, I feel like you want to. Give credit I where credit's due. I do want to. Yeah. So um, my friend, Matt Aldred, who was in Superstitions with me, he's on, I think it's eight, eight out of the 10 songs in guitar and synths and bass and... Um, we've been playing together for years and then my friend Zach Burgess is on uh, six out of the ten songs and he's my oldest friend. I've known him since he was a baby and he's on a bunch of it. And then Meg Remy actually kind of served as a, in her words, album doula for four of the songs and she <laughs> put me in. Yeah, that was her, yeah, her, her, uh, words for her contribution and uh she put me in a room with jay anderson and matt mclaren and andy scott and carlin bezik and so i have a lot of really incredible musicians populating the album right okay all the way through the other thing i just wanted to quickly follow up on because you mentioned that there are lead singers that you admire we talked about elvis i guess is there anyone else you want to cite just in terms of either their performative stances or the way they present themselves or even just, I don't know, power? Is there anyone that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I one of my favorite singers and songwriters of all time is Lucinda Williams. So that is weird. My wife caught that. My wife caught that. One. There's a song. There's a song on the record, and my wife just yesterday, I'm not making this up, said this sounds exactly like Lucinda. Really? Oh, yes. my God. She caught that. She um, caught that. Delighted to hear that. Yeah, I can't. I'm um, yeah, sorry. My, I, don't remember, my, I don't remember what song it was, but yes, she. I'll, I'll find out. I'll ask her. <laughs> yeah, please. I would love to know. Um, but yeah, my my mom played uh, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road like incessantly when I was a kid, and I always I've always loved it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, like I've inherited a lot of favorite singers and albums from my mom, and. I mean, a lot of my favorite albums now were her favorite albums when I was a kid, um, like Exile in Guyville, Guyville by uh, Liz Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so Liz Fair is a big one for me, songwriting-wise and storytelling-wise. Yeah. And then Sinead O'Connor is a big one, the, mm-hmm. the first couple of albums. And I, I listen to a lot of older, like older blues and soul as well i mean i mainly listen to like country blues and soul yeah um otis redding and yeah and Howlin' wolf are two mainstays this is great especially see- now i just yeah you seem like a real student yeah. of music i appreciate that yeah i mean i you know i don't think you can make anything if you're not constantly seeking out things you love sure yeah by the way, yeah, I have a feeling that the Lucinda thing might be bye bye Jubilee, but I can't, I can't say for certain. Uh, but I feel like in my head that's sort of there. Do you see where I'm coming from? I feel like that's in there a little bit. I, I do for sure. That's definitely one of the more like overtly country uh, songs on the album. Yes, this happens to be my okay. son's favorite song. My son is nine. He thinks that's the best song on the record. And my daughter told me yesterday that. Uh, she came up to me and she said, Levon's listening to Bye Bye Googly. So I, <laughs> she's turning into Derek Zoolander or something. I don't know. She didn't understand the word, but she's only five. She doesn't know the word Jubilee. Anyway, it's all this to say, much love from my family to yours. Uh, Disa, if people want to learn more. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. If people want to learn more about you uh, and this record, Girls Like Me, on the internet, where would you send them? 
I would send them to, I have my SoundCloud page, which is This Is Nisa. Yeah. Um, and then I'm on all the social medias as This Is Nisa. And you can find me on the, the streaming giants as well. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I'll be putting it up on Bandcamp uh, also. Are you pressing this, by the way? When the day comes. Is it going to be on vinyl at all? Not, not yet. Um, yeah, so the... Um, Fuzzed and Buzz, which is a Toronto-based label uh, run by my dear friend Lex and his friend Reg, mm-hmm. um, were kind and generous enough to uh, put their uh, put both their financial and spiritual backing into this album. And so, uh, wait, wait a minute. Which it's not coming out yet. Which Lex and which Reg? Can you? Who are those people? You know. I don't know if I've ever been told their last names. They're Lexology and Regicide. I don't. Oh right, I, don't know. I know that. I, know I know Regicide. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. Right. Okay. So they're. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So that's that. And then um, the aim is to press it next next year. Okay. So well, it'll just be digital for now. Set me up for anything I yeah. can do to help. Uh, if there's like a Patreon or some kind of investment thing where you pay and then you get the record, I am. I am down. I would like to help if that helps. Uh, <laughs> I thank you so much. I uh, I very much appreciate I'll that. Te- thank you. I'll message Regicide and tell them that because I I'm in touch with the the Regicide. Okay, uh, you did say uh, that uh, the song every at least it was once a week, every couple weeks. That to me, uh, I neglected to I usually ask future plans, but the future is so nebulous at the moment that I, I've been kind of skirting on that question a little yes. bit lately but you've got what it sounds like you must have a, a number of uh, songs that you're almost happy with do you have a sense of when those will be released or what your plans are beyond uh, this uh, album coming out I you know yeah I mean it truly nebulous is the right word I don't know what like the future is going to look like a month from now let, let alone a year from mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. but um Definitely. My goal right now is to keep writing. And then I would really love to, I mean, yeah, my friend Zach Burgess, he's gotten pretty good at recording stuff in his basement. So I'm going to set a goal to just try and try and record some stuff, some stuff that way. And I don't know, go from there and just, just see, just try and keep making stuff. Yeah. It's really the only thing that I can do. It, uh, I, I, have you been listening to more music in this time? I, I've been listening, I've been sitting down with my record player and listening to more music than I can remember ever having the time to do since I was like a little kid. Since I've been an adult, I would say I've been spending more time just listening to records that I don't have to, uh, you know, cover, so to speak, with my work. But are you? do you find you're listening to more music or did you have to shut down? Uh, I've heard both from people. I find it's been... I mean, I'm never not listening to music, but I don't think I'm as, um, like, I'm not paying as much attention to the music I'm listening to. I'm just kind of going Mm. back to comforting music, like putting on, yeah, soul or blues or country, which, I mean, I love those genres, but I'm not, I don't know, I'm having a hard time seeking out new music, which is something I want to be I want to be doing more of and also it was just strange I mean the albums that did come out during the pandemic that I loved I mean I found it hard to spend time with them almost because I don't know music is such a shared thing like the way I don't know I'll 
go to my mom's house and play her a song or she'll play me a song or I'm hanging out with friends and it's like, oh my God, this is the song we can't get enough of. This is the Mm -hmm. album we can't get enough of. Mm -hmm. And taking the social element out of listening to music has kind of made it hard for me to like form new attachments to new music. I'm sorry to hear that. I I do find I listen to music the best uh, in isolation. Like, um, and then I talk about it with friends, maybe who listen to it. It's weird. It's a weird thing. We obviously um, converge to go see live music, and that is weirdly mm-hmm. an expression of hey, 300 of us love this artist so much. We all spend time listening to their records, probably on our own or in the car with someone or what have you. But this is a totally us gathering here is a testament to the power of the shared experience and now we don't have that sense of does anybody else like this or am I on my (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's that for sure yeah and I think it's also the fact that like I'm only listening to music in my own home as opposed to like while I'm walking to work or while I'm at work or you know while I'm in a car with somebody or I'm at somebody's house or it's just the fact that I'm I only get to hear it in one way I just I'm not I'm not used to only having yeah. access to one means of listening. I, I like lots of different ways of discovery and yeah, uh, hearing new music. Yeah, it's the ever changing new normal, right? We don't really know what's going to happen, but I'm trying to get you. I don't know about you. I'm trying to get used to this as much as it's changing all the time. I'm relatively like I'm so busy that yeah. I'm just like, well, this is the way it is. I guess I may never see Bob Dylan again, or I may not see whoever again and that's I had my fun and I saw and experienced a bunch of stuff and now it's going to be different and for sure I'm trying to it's hard it's way easier said than done and I feel lucky that I'm in that zone where I can kind of view it that way because I know some people are you can see it they're struggling with it and that's why they're trying to do that we got to go to the beach all of us got to go to the beach and you're like "Eh, it's probably not the best idea to go to the beach but uh anyway Weird times. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard. People we're we're social we're social animals. So yeah. it's uh it's been it, it 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 doesn't really it's not gonna get easier. Um so but I mean we gotta just keep I gotta just keep writing songs and hopefully people f- take some comfort in those and uh yeah, just I'll offer up what I can. Yeah, well you're doing just just so we're clear, you're doing you're doing fine work. You're doing the best work of almost anyone I can think of right now if I haven't I don't gush like oh, this with you. guests so I don't know what's going on with me and your record and you but I like it it's really good if we can go out on a song from uh, uh, Girls Like Me Nisa could you pick one for us and, and maybe even say why you chose it I will pick Misty Morning um, because it's my favorite one on the album and I feel like it's kind of the song that most represents what I want from life. Uh, I hope to one day have live on a on a commune with my my best friends in nature, and we all share a beautiful life together. And if that only exists in my mind for right now, that's still a place that I can uh, I can go in flights of flights of fantasy and. Um, yeah, so that's the song, and also it's uh, it's going to be the next music video after the oh, album's cool. out. Yeah. So slight slight uh, Led Zeppelin reference there in the title, and also is the lyric "Misty Morning" <laughs> and I'm hungry. Yes. So it's it's about brunch. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, it's totally <laughs> just about avocado toast. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad way to end on a stupid joke, but I'm going to go with it anyway because uh, what the hell. This is Misty Morning. Hey, keep it fun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm trying to keep it fun. Uh, that's what we got to do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Misty Morning Absolutely. by Nisa from Girls Like Me. Uh, Nisa, I uh, hope you uh, appreciate that I appreciate you, and I thank you for this time, and I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. I do. Thank you so much for having me. Very much appreciate it. This broken heart could it be enough to start a family? Yeah, you and me and a couple of friends and a little land sweetened by the hard, hard city years. Those hard, broke city years. I dreamt I flew over rolling. With my back to the window Or turn away from a friend in need I dreamt the devil took me in his arms And I liked it Now I can show you how it feels To make something real Surrounded by the wild green
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I was really honored to have Nisa on this, the 559th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available on all Apple and Google platforms and and lots of other podcatchers, too. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my semi-regularly scheduled newsletter, God damn it! I'm going to send out a newsletter. I just haven't done it, and I feel badly. I'm sorry. I don't have much to say. I talk enough on the show, don't you think? You really need to read what I think? I don't think so. Maybe you do. People like newsletters. I'm sorry. I appreciate you subscribing to the newsletter, and I will tend to it. I'm just, I feel bad. It's one of those things you set something up, and then you feel bad. You're not, you know, tending to it, and then you feel bad about yourself, and you don't want to get out of bed. That's what I'm like with the newsletter. Anyway, I'll get the newsletter going. If you want to learn how to sign up for that or learn about more about me, go to my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. I hate saying Facebook. You can like Creative Control on all social media things, mostly. Also, follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative or follow me directly at Vishkana. Also, visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast and all of its activities. $6 or more gets you uh, access to exclusive content. And I, I hope those of you who can access that appreciate it. If you want to access that stuff, $6 or more, go to patreon.com slash creative control. Again, it's flexible. You can change uh, the amount you donate whenever you want. And the amounts come out on a monthly basis. Thanks again to live at masseyhall.com where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. They have many uh, concert films in their archives up at live at masseyhall.com. Uh, thanks, as always, to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my dear old friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music for this particular podcast. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode with Nisa. I'm telling you, this Nisa, I it's just been a revelation. I'm a huge fan of everything I've seen and the record's fantastic I hope you will check out uh, Girls Like Me as soon as you can it's wonderful and uh, as I said already in the, in the show 
whole house loves it. It's shaking and vibrating the house in a way that we need right now. So I would uh, dig into Girls Like Me by Nisa. And uh, also, tell your friends about this podcast if they don't know about it. And uh, and please follow the show, subscribe to the show, whatever. And I'll keep doing it. And that is all I have to say for now. Except for when I put out the newsletter, in which case you'll hear more from me, I'm sure. Thank you. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.